This morning's scripture reading comes from Acts 8, chapters 4, chapter 8, verses 4 through 25. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. All right, let's take a minute now and let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that you give us this uh, passage of scripture uh, to teach us about what happens when the gospel comes into new places. Uh, Lord, the gospel is not new here in San Diego, but we want to see the same kind of fruit uh, that we see in this passage happen in our city. And so please help us uh, to have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, and hands and feet uh, to follow you uh, to see this kind of fruit. Uh, in our lives and in San Diego, as we see here in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want you to imagine what you would do if you were literally running for your life. Uh, if you may be familiar with the story of, uh, I got to be here, don't I? Uh, familiar with the story of uh, Corey Ten Boom, uh, one of the many people during the Holocaust who literally had to hide in order to protect herself from being killed by the Nazis. And that, that's what you do, right? When you're running for your life, when you're fearful, you, you go away, you hide. What we see in this passage, however, is this kind of, this really striking and on one level really kind of, you can scratch your head like, what, what's this about? Because what you see is that these men and women are going around and they're not hiding. They're actually continuing to talk about who Jesus is and what he has done. Verse four, if you have your Bible open, it's really interesting. Probably for many of you, uh, what you'll see there in verse four is that it says that they went about preaching. And that's a perfectly adequate 
translation. But the problem is that in our cultural context, preaching is what I'm doing right now, right? Preaching is someone, maybe they've got a seminary degree and they get up in front of a room full of people and they talk for 30 minutes about the Bible. Uh, and so when you hear that, what you're thinking is, oh, a bunch of pastors went out and they were preaching, you know, they were like doing a, a street evangelism type of preaching. And that's actually not what's going on here. Uh, the New English translation of the Bible uh, says this, that they went around proclaiming the good news. Uh, so what's going on, I want you to picture this, right? These, these folks are running for their lives. They're actually being uh, displaced from their homes, and they're going around, and they're talking about Jesus. They're going around, and they're telling people about who he is and what he has done. And chapter 8 gives us two stories, uh, two stories, both about a man named Philip. We're going to look at one story this week. We're going to look at the other story next week. And then we're going to move on from Acts into, into studying prayer. Uh, <clears throat> we see in these two stories, we see the fruit of the gospel as it continues to move and advance forward. And what we're going to see today in particular are three things that happen when the gospel comes to a place. Uh, we're going to see, first of all, that the gospel brings rejoicing. We're going to see that the gospel brings uh, um, reconciliation. And then we're going to see that it brings a recalibration. And I'll talk to you about what uh, those things are. And, and my basic kind of, my assumption in this is that, w- that the gospel is good news. That's what the word gospel actually means. Uh, and that when you see this rejoicing and this reconciliation and this recalibration in the way that we understand power, that in fact, that's what we all want. Like think of, think of what we want in San Diego. Think about what you want in the places where you live and maybe in your, your, where you work, right? You want there to be joy. You want there to be healthy, good relationships. You want power to be used in ways that brings flourishing and isn't oppressive. And the gospel's the way that that happens through us. So let's look at each of these. First of all, we see that there is joy. There's this rejoicing that happens. Uh, look at with me at verses of five through eight. And what you see is that Philip, he is a part of this group of people that are going out They're They're being scattered. These men and women that are being scattered and he goes into Samaria. Uh, he goes into Samaria and he begins to, to proclaim who Jesus is and he begins to do miracles. We see, we see in verse six, when the crowds heard that Philip saw, heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, They paid close attention. What did he do? He says, uh, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so that there was great joy in the city. Now, what is joy? Uh, David Brooks, in his book, The Second Mountain, says this. He says, "We, we can help create happiness, but we are seized by joy. We are pleased by happiness. We are transformed by joy. When we experience joy, we often feel we have glimpsed into a deeper and truer layer of reality. Uh, another person, and I, I, I can't quite remember, the. I, I think this quote is from John Piper, but I could be wrong. But, but he says that joy is a feeling in the soul that's produced by God's spirit that overtakes us when we see the beauty of God through his word, and in his world. And I think that's in fact what you're seeing here, right? That, that Philip is going in and he's talking to people about Jesus and they're seeing the beauty of Jesus as they're hearing 
who he is and what he's done. They're hearing that he died and rose again. We're going to see why that's really significant in our next point. Uh, but then, like, they see the beauty of God in the world because demons are being expelled from people. And, um, and, and people who can't walk are all of a sudden walking again. They're being healed. So the gospel isn't just good news for our souls. It's good news for our bodies. It's good news for our society. Um, if you're if you're not familiar with the stories of demonic activity in the Gospels, one of the things that's really interesting to, to look at is that in almost every instance where you see demonic activity in the Gospels, uh, the person who's the subject of that demonic activity is being physically oppressed in some way. They're running around naked. They've lost their mind. Uh, they're hurting themselves. They're throwing themselves on fire. And, and so there's this really physical, and it's spiritual, but there's this really physical manifestation that's destructive in people's lives because of this kind of demonic activity. And, and what's happening is that they're being set free from that kind of oppression. They're being set free. Is it any wonder then that there's rejoicing, right? People are seeing this, these crazy transformations. They're hearing this good news being proclaimed and it's, and it's bringing joy. It's bringing rejoicing, not just happiness, but this deep sense of joy because of what God is doing in the world. Uh, I can't help but think, even as uh, as Marion was was praying a little bit ago for for generate hope, right? We we pray because we believe that there are spiritual components to the problem of human trafficking in our world, right? Like it blows me away that that there's so much human trafficking. Uh, number eight, I think Chad said, uh, in the United States. Like, that's an insane number to me. And yet, while it's a spiritual issue, we also recognize it's a very real physical issue, right? And, and so organizations like Generate Hope are actually pulling people out of slavery in order to bring freedom that they need. The gospel is always about both the physical needs and the spiritual needs that we have. And so there's rejoicing. The second thing that we see is that there's reconciliation. So uh, we're, we're told, both at the beginning and at the end of the, of the passage, that Philip at the beginning and then uh, Peter and John at the end are going through the region of Samaria. Now, what you have to understand, if you don't know this already, uh, is that, that Jews and Samaritans do not like each other at all. Uh, in the Gospel of John, there is a scene where Jesus gets a drink of water from a uh, from a Samaritan woman, and the disciples are questioning Jesus why he would do that. In uh, chapter in Luke chapter nine, uh, some Samaritans, uh, 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 Peter and or James and John, feel like Jesus has been disrespected by some a group of Samaritans, and they say, Jesus. We'll call fire down from heaven. We'll show them for disrespecting you. Now, the reasons for that hatred and animosity are super complex. It'd be like me trying to explain to you in, in, in a few sentences uh, the, 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 the tensions behind racism in the United States, right? You just can't do it. There's so much history, cultural issues at work in that. Uh, and it's the same thing here. There, there are, is a, there's a religious component to their animosity. There's a cultural component. There's a political component. And, and it's deeply, deeply, deeply divided. Philip went into Samaria. 
Peter or Peter and John go continue to preach in Samaria after they see what God had been doing. Why? Partly it's an act of obedience. Uh, do you remember what is it that Jesus said to the disciples in the Great Commission? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, right? It wasn't Jerusalem, Judea, skip Samaria, and then go everywhere else. Uh, and so it was, it was a real act of obedience for them to go into Samaria, but understand like that would have been culturally a huge leap for them. Uh, and, and so this is why this really interesting thing happens. Did you notice what happens? So, so you have a bunch of people that pray and believe, and then what happens? Peter and John, they, they've stayed. The, the apostles at this point have stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else is taking off. And, and historians think that probably it was the Hellenistic Jews that were especially being persecuted at this point. They're the ones that are leaving. Uh, and so the apostles are still behind. They get wind of what happens in Samaria. And so they come down uh, to Samaria uh, and, and then they pray. They see, yes, these people have prayed. They've already been baptized, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and this is a unique moment in church history. The Holy Spirit will show up in three times. First at Pentecost here, and then again in chapter 10. Uh, and it's each time that, that a new segment of people are coming to faith. First of all, you have Jews at Pentecost, here you have Samaritans, and in chapter 10, you have Gentiles, non-Jewish people, non-Samaritan people. And in each of these cases, what's happening is Holy Spirit is coming in this unique way after faith, after baptism. That's not how he works now, uh, because he's trying to signify, yes, these people really are now a part of who I am. They're part of my people. They, they're being reconciled in. So this really dramatic thing happens that they come in. Now, uh, this in and of itself brings, brings joy. Uh, because what happened? You have this deep animosity. You have this deep hatred. You have this, this long history of, of, uh, of, of even at points violence against each other. And they're being brought together into this new community. I think that that's a part of the reason why there's rejoicing that happens. Um, think of what's going on in our society right now and how fractured we are as a society. Think of how that's being played out just in the church right now and how deeply fractured we are right now as a church. The, the reality is that, that the gospel says that we have differences and that those differences are actually what makes us stronger. But, but what our culture is doing, it's forming us to think that if you don't agree with me on X, Y, or Z, that I'm going to cut you off. Uh, I'm, I'm going to attack you. I'm going to second guess you. There's a really interesting uh, example of that just this past week. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren is an Anglican pastor and author, and she wrote an op-ed piece in the New York Times about uh, virtual worship. And she was suggesting in the, in the article that churches need to consider uh, their posture towards virtual worship and that her church, in fact, is going to stop doing virtual worship. Uh, and, the, and the response that she got to that opinion, it's an op-ed piece, right? This is my opinion. That's the whole point of an op-ed piece. The response that she got from some segments within the church was, well, she was being attacked 
That's not the gospel. That's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be this place where, where differences are brought together and we see the differences. And yeah, there are some things that we would say, look, yeah, that's, that's outside of the bounds of the gospel. But, but sometimes we draw those lines really, cl- really close. And that's not what we see here. The, uh, uh, Philip easily could have gone around Samaria. That's what most people would have done. But he goes into Samaria. Peter and John could have heard, and they're like, yeah, we're not going to go down there. That's, that's, that's the neighborhood you don't go into. But they go down there, and then they stay there and continue to preach the gospel, and people are continuing to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of, of, of these people who are going out, and they're continuing to proclaim Jesus, these men and women who are talking about Jesus, uh, Philip gives us a snapshot of what this looks like, right? They're, they're with their words, they're talking about Jesus. With their words, they're talking about who he is and what he has done, that he died, that he rose again, that he did that in order to restore our relationship with him. Uh, they're, they're also coming in and they're performing these miracles. Now, we don't perform miracles, but, but we continue that kind of work by serving the physical needs of our community. And they're doing that. So there's this, this twofold word and deed message proclamation of the gospel that's happening. That brings reconciliation, right? People who are at odds with each other are being brought together. And there's all this rejoicing that's happening. And then the third thing that happens, which is really, I think, pertinent to the cultural moment that we're in, is that there's a recalibration in our understanding of power. So we're introduced in verse 9 to this guy named Simon. And Simon is a wizard. There are wizards in the Bible. And he's not just any wizard. He's a powerful wizard. Uh, the NIV says he's the great power of God, was what people called him. Uh, another version of the Bible says that he was known as the great wizard. It's interesting to look at different versions of the Bible as they try to figure, try to interpret uh, the title that he had. Every single one of them, this was an important dude. This was a dude that had a lot of power. Uh, This is someone who had a lot of cultural and social capital. And he hears Philip preach, and he comes to faith, and he's baptized. And then one day, Peter and John show up. And what happens when Peter and John show up? Right, They lay their hands on people, and all of a sudden, we're not told what it is. We're not told if it's tongues of fire. We're not told what it is that that made it clear that something different happened, that Holy Spirit had showed up. But it's obviously that it's it's obvious that it's clear. And Simon sees that and he says this, says uh, verse 18, it says this, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hand, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Uh, I think what's going on here is that Simon had power, right? Simon was probably a very important person in Samaria at this particular time. We're told that he was known as the great and powerful, the power, the great power of God or the great wizard, right? And so here come these two dudes from Jerusalem and they have a power that he does not have. They have a power that is way, way, way more than the power that he has. And he's thinking to himself, I want that kind of power. And Peter is able to see right through him and call him out on it 
and, 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 uh, and points out what his true heart motivations are. He wants to use this power not to serve, but he wants to use this power in order to gain more power and right, in order to have authority, in order to keep the cultural and social position that he had in society. Again, we're in this really unique moment, aren't we? Where, where a lot of the ways that power has been abused in the church uh, are front and center. Just this past week, I was talking to a friend of mine. I was on a Zoom call with a group of pastors, and on the call was a friend from seminary that I hadn't seen in a long time. And, and a couple of people are introducing themselves. And so uh, uh, he, uh, he said, yeah, I used to work for Ravi Zacharias International Ministry. There was a day when that actually meant something good. Uh, and if you don't know, uh, Ravi Zacharias uh, uh, was a prominent uh, Christian leader, uh, and it was exposed that he was doing really, really, really awful things with the power that he had. So, so that's a problem that we have inside the church, right? That we use the, the power and authority that we have, and we use it in ways that actually are destructive to people. And what Peter and John do is they see straight through that, and they say, no, that is not how we use the power that God has given to us. What strikes me about these three scenes, what strikes me about these three different fruits that we see in this particular story is that in every single one of them, uh, the gospel goes from being theory, it goes into being practice, right? These things don't happen by themselves. Philip had to talk Philip had to heal people in order for there to be rejoicing in Samaria. Philip had to choose not to go around Samaria, but to go into Samaria. Peter and John uh, needed to decide, oh, we're going to go down there and see what happened in Samaria. They had to decide to stay in Samaria in order for the reconciliation that began to take place to happen in Samaria. Peter had to call Simon out and not just look the other way and not just say, sorry, yeah, we're not going to do that. That's not how it works. But to actually say to him, no, that is not the way that it works. You do not buy the power from God. That is not something that's for purchase. And so think of that. If, if we want San Diego to be a city that experiences more rejoicing, if we want San Diego to be a city where there is reconciliation, more reconciliation happening, if we want San Diego to be a city where power, abusive power, is being called out, it doesn't happen by itself. It, it, I would submit to you that the church ought to be one of the loudest voices in all of those areas. And sadly, sadly, we're not a, we're so busy bickering with each other right now, not here at Harbor, right? But the church in the United States, we're so busy bickering with each other right now that our voice, we've shut ourselves up. And the end result of that is that the gospel loses its power. Not be, No, actually, that's not the right, I want to say it. The gospel doesn't lose its power, Right? but it's not being effective through us. The gospel has power irrespective of who we are because it's power from God. Um, 
but we don't get to participate in what God is doing in the world. So what do we do with this? What I want to suggest to you is I want you to consider, I want us to consider where are the places where God is calling us to be this week? Where are the places where God is calling us to be week in and week out? The office, the classroom, uh, the neighborhood. Is our presence a presence that brings joy? Is our presence a presence that, uh, that works towards reconciliation? Are we known as peacemakers? Is our presence one that says when you see something that's wrong that we don't turn a blind eye? Listen, I, it's so easy to just be like, oh, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. But to actually say, no, that's not the way things ought to be. And that as we, and that faithfully, lovingly pointing people to Jesus as we do that, I think that what we're going to see is that the city becomes more and more and more in small ways. Look, this is not going to happen completely until Jesus comes back, right? Jesus is the one who is finally and fully going to restore all things. But we get to, we get to have a part in that uh, for the period of time that he calls us to be with him in this world. Uh, and so uh, as, we're, as we're coming to the end of our time in Acts and as we're kind of beginning to bring some of these pieces together, um, what I want to challenge us as a church with is this. The fruit of the gospel that we see in this passage, right? And we've seen at other points. The fruit of the gospel of rejoicing, of reconciliation, of a recalibration, of a reordering of power. This is the kind of, these are the kinds of actions that God has called us to because the power that we have is the power of God. Uh, so let me pray for us now, and then we're going to move into uh, uh, into the next part of our service. Heavenly Father, we uh, we thank you that the fruit that you provide, the fruit of the gospel, is a fruit that uh, that works irrespective of what we do, and yet you give us this tremendous opportunity to serve you, uh, Lord. Would you please let our lives be lives? that bring rejoicing because uh, because we are quick to speak about what you have done. May our lives be lives of reconciliation because we are quick to uh, to love and serve our neighbor. And, to, and when we are at fault, even to be the first ones to say, man, I, I messed up, please forgive me. Uh, may we be quick to call out abusive power uh, because that is the way of the gospel. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us. Uh, Thank you that you uh, have given us this good news uh, that we get to order our lives around. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.